Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business model, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trun Arne Unheim, futurist and author. In episode 38 of the podcast, the topic is disaster risk management. Our guest is Chloe Dombrovsky, CEO of Disaster Recovery Institute. In this conversation, which is a precursor to an upcoming deep dive into risk and resilience in the next decade, we talk about what risk management is all about, how executives can handle disasters, and map out some of the needed vocabulary to start understanding risk in a systematic way. Quick word from our sponsor. Do you have business challenges where you would like high-quality external input from experts? Yegi is an insight network with access to on-demand teams made up of select talent from thousands of experts across industries and markets. Check out Yegi at archives.yegi.com. That's Y-E-G-I-I. How are you doing? I'm well. Uh, Chloe, so tell me about your work though, Chloe. So you... Uh, you call yourself a disaster management executive. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So, yeah. So I I run an organization called Disaster Recovery Institute International. And we're all about, um, you know, how we can prepare for and recover from any type of disaster. So we work with organizations about, you know, what they are worried about, what keeps them up at night, what are the things that could potentially impact their ability to continue delivering their product or service, whatever that may be. And so you get into all different permutations of this. So like I said, Hurricane Laura is a great example right now. Exactly. Now it's that particular storm is going in between, right in between Houston, which would be big disaster and New Orleans, which would be human toll. Um, So I think we're lucky in terms of the economic impact that, Hurricane Laura will have because it's not that there aren't that many businesses or anything like that in that yeah. area. It's relatively sparsely populated. So most are talking about like oil refineries and fisheries um, yeah. who deal with a lot of this stuff. But Houston, on the other hand, is a hub. So when Harvey in 2017 hit Houston, it was a much bigger problem because we're talking about um, chemical plants, medicines, distribution hubs, um, a lot of our fruit and vegetables that come in through Latin America, they all come in through Houston, whether it's yeah. through shipping or through airports. So then you kind of look at all of the different ways in which those supply lines um, fan out from Houston. And um, of course, our, our community had been looking at that for a long time. It wasn't like Harvey caught us by surprise. We do a constantly saying, well, what if? What if this happened? What if there was flooding? What if there was a hurricane? What if there was a tornado? Uh, What if there was a cyber attack? How prepared are we? And then there's the different permutations by sector, for example. So like, you know, hospitals have a very different remit um, than uh, the oil refineries, like I said. Yeah. So so what you do is um, you comment on this, but do you actually also... uh, uh, you you help them strategically in terms of organizations on how to prepare for and react to you know during these disasters is that is that what you're doing i think the simplest way to understand it is that we're we're really a training institute yep. so we get the professionals together and they talk about what they've gone through what their organizations are doing what the lessons learned are and we come up with we maintain the best practices for the profession yep and then uh, we train anyone who's coming into the profession on those best practices. And then the key thing is that they then maintain a professional certification through us. 
So they have to maintain that through continuing education. How did you get into this field? Oh, by accident. (laughs) I started as a temp and I worked my way up in less than a decade. It's it's been a bit of a wild ride. Yeah, I would say so. (laughs) Yeah. But, (laughs) you know, it's very interesting. Uh, You know, it's certainly, especially since we do work on pandemics, I feel a renewed sense of purpose with uh, COVID-19 and everything that's going on because it's exactly what we've been talking about for such a long time. I mean, we used to exercise on pandemics when it was Ebola or Zika or SARS or any of the others. So um, I'm now seeing in action a lot of what we'd kind of modeled out. Mm. Um, even the challenges and the, and the resistance to it is something that is actually highly predictable. If you study past uh, pandemics, people unfortunately don't really change that much. We learn more, but our behavior doesn't shift greatly. Well, well, so Chloe, those are kinds of the things that I would want to explore because, you know, in the little study I did of, of this particular pandemic and the exercises that, you know, ran up to it, my, my conclusion was that the, the exercises were pretty limited in, in character, at least the government-run ones. They typically contained fairly few stakeholders. And, and generally, the lesson I drew from it was that we tend to prepare for the past pandemic, like the immediate past accident. And then we create something that's so tailored to that. And then, yeah, there's talk of disease X or, you know, disaster X. No one ever prepares for disaster X. They all prepare for, oh, Katrina, right, we're going to do this when Katrina 2 hits. And then it never hits that same way. It hits a different place, different. Why is it that we can't seem to do this and what and how are you basically pr- training people to do differently we talk about that all the time actually because we see the same thing i think some yeah. of it is about because after a big disaster occurs there's a window where the experts who are trying to get their message through have a moment where yeah. senior leadership and the public are saying oh my god how did this happen how can we prevent this from ever happening again and yeah. then they get a lot of funding and resources kind of thrown at them to make sure that that same thing doesn't happen again so that's yeah. part of the problem Um, After the 2017 hurricane season, FEMA changed a lot of what they were doing. Congress looked at it to try to invest more in prevention and Mm -hmm. preparedness, um, as opposed to just that reactive mode that we're constantly in, um, both on the government level and on the private sector level. I think a lot of um, businesses actually do this quite well. They just do it quietly. And -hmm. if they do their job well, then there's no story. So it never gets covered. Well, that's a big problem, right? You yeah. know, success just means it's like the intelligence community. <laughs> You've averted 50 bad things from happening. You can never talk about them. Yeah. No one ever knows what they could have done and, and media just moves on. So it's, it's a kind of a thankless profession to be in, right? It, it is. It is. It's really hard to, to, try to try to explain to the media like what we do and why we do it and, and, and why it's valuable because, you know, they want to cover something a little bit more dramatic, unfortunately. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I do think that there is a problem in general with that approach of saying, okay, this is the specific thing that we're going to, that just happened and we're going to make sure that thing doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, making sure that I think it's important for senior leaders and those who are holding the resources to really listen to the experts talk about how some of this might be more flexibly used because a lot in the expert community, there is a lot of thought about, okay, what, instead of looking at all of the risks that could happen, you look at the impacts and a lot of the, while the risks, there's endless, there are endless permutations. Um, the impacts tend to be kind of similar. So, you know, you can't get your people to a facility you don't have access to your information or your technology. You have some sort of 
um, process error or intellectual property issue. You know, your facility might be fine, your people are there, but for some reason it could be legal, it could be PR related, it could be supply chain related, like you can't deliver whatever it is that you're supposed to deliver. So um, if you deal with those permutations and if you deal with the impacts instead of with all of the risks, that can be more flexible because you're thinking, okay, how can I continue my business if we can't access our facility? So that would have prepared you better as an organization for dealing with something like COVID-19. I agree. Either it's a backup facility, um, which doesn't work very well here, but increasingly backup sites, which were very popular after September 11th, are less popular um, these days because all the technology is enabling work from home. So, yeah. What what are some of the things you want to talk about? I mean, you talk about uh, your your profession and and stuff all the time. You know, my my podcast is kind of about the next decade and how we prepare in all kinds of ways. You know, there's a lot of technologists on, but I I all, now I'm trying to broaden it much more to 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 have more social dynamics and and other you know business dynamics and other things on there, including you know regulatory uh, things as well. What are some, what are the best questions? What would you want to be asked? What would you want to talk about? If you think about kind of what the, what my podcast is, I don't know if you've listened to any any of them, but basically, you know, it's not just about featuring individuals. It's always topics. So, you know, we'd, we'd have, to have to find something specific, uh, ideally, you know, dealing with disaster recovery, thinking about it in a kind of a longer time frame, and what, you know, either what, what could happen to the field, what you reflect on, you know, in that regard or, or, you know, anything that you have on your mind and you, you think is important in the next decade for your field. The way that we talk about it, um, there's a, there's a distinction that we make between the chronic stressors and the sudden shocks. Yep. So chronic stressors are, are things like, um, poverty, um, crumbling infrastructure, yep. um, poor healthcare networks, uh, I think you could even make the case for climate change as a chronic stressor at this point, but then you have the sudden shocks that can set you back. So even the chronic stressors are making you more vulnerable over time yeah. and sudden shocks are something like a hurricane or COVID-19. Um, they're, they're all related to chronic stressors and the way that they manifest in society points out all of those, those vulnerabilities from the chronic stressors. Um, but, the, but they do set us back and we very rarely actually prepare for them or forecast them in when we're strategic planning or thinking about the future. And yeah. so I think it's really important to do so. I think a lot of that future t um, conversation tends to be about more of the chronic problems rather than suddenly like, hey, this sudden thing happened that then set us back. So I yeah. think it would be useful to, to, to kind of talk about that distinction and talk about the way that we approach risk and thinking about this sort of inverted model of impact-based can be useful. Um, in terms of the, the, the risks that keep us up at night for the next decade, uh, critical infrastructure, whether it's yeah. crumbling, critical infrastructure protection, that's yeah. linked very closely to cyber, cyber resilience in general, whether it's, you know, um, technology failure or whether it's actual attacks, whether they're perpetrated by hackers or na nation states. We spend a lot of time not looking so much at the technology side, but thinking about how that manifests itself in the physical or real world. So yep. what is the business impact yep. of a cyber attack? While IT is dealing with a technology problem, what is everybody else doing? Yeah, sure. So that's really important. And then the last one that we look at that's longer term, obviously, is climate change, which 
we tend to talk, we do talk about climate change, but we also talk about extreme weather because that's the sudden shock component. Sure. And um, is there, is there anything, and I, I think one of the things I'd want to ask you about is what, you know, what kinds of models do you apply to this field? And for instance, if you think about climate change, is there anything in your thinking that would indicate when or how a awareness level is going to kind of hit some sort of peak or momentum, or is there no such point? It's just going to kind of be a gradual process because that's, you know, in the eighties and nineties, that was always the argument. It's just, you know, the kids or whoever it is, the climate activists, they can all scream and shout all they want, but this is never really going to hit the, uh, the public attention in a major way because the impacts are so invisible and so long-term. Well, I think that is exactly one of the problems that I, I can certainly talk about. I think that, you know, what the academic community is looking at and, settling, su- and, and studying and modeling is so long-term time horizon. Yeah. When you talk about 50-year impacts, most companies don't plan 50 years out. Well, exactly. And if you look at the political environment, right, I mean, even senators, of course, are elected for, you know, for longer, for six, but, you know, even representatives are elected for two years, presidents for four. And then if you think about local politicians, you know, sometimes even worse. So so no one has this perspective. No. And uh, the good... The good thing about, like I said, some of the changes that happened after 2017 from Congress that focus on prevention is tied not so much to climate change as it is to extreme weather, uh, which is totally nonpartisan. It's bipartisan, I would say. Um, It's one issue that everybody can kind of collectively get behind. It might be one of the last issues, whereas the second you bring it, you bring it into climate change. It's a different conversation, but if you talk well, it's about interesting to say that extreme weather is bipartisan because I mean it's only bipartisan because the political messages around it are bipartisan. But I mean, if you look at how COVID has played out, mm-hmm. I think you're starting to see that the cracks in bipartisanship could actually start happening to extreme weather events too. In a well, I'm, I'll ask it as a question to you, but isn't it also true that? Exactly. This this hurricane that you were just covering now, Laura, it hit in an area where nobody cares, apart from the oil refineries, which I think, you know, some, some people, this is going to be expensive if they actually have interruptions. Yeah. But to the extent it is a poor area in Louisiana, you know, uh, ostensibly... It's a poor area. I mean, New Orleans and Houston have a lot of poor areas too that were hit by Harvey and Katrina. And we saw that. I don't think it's so much because it's a poor area as is because it's a rural area. Even the cities that are there are much smaller. So like the evacuation zone was 500,000 residents, which is a big difference from, you know, evacuating multi-millions. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. I was just saying, isn't it also a question of how much resource are, you know, are people actually willing to invest when it's less at stake, right? So you could imagine in, you know, well, and this happens certainly if you go outside of the United States, when there's a flood in Bangladesh, mm-hmm. a lot of people are impacted, but yeah. we rarely really hear about it because they represent such little uh, GDP, Right. So it is like, oh, there was a flood and these places have floods and that's really bad. And then everyone moves on because it doesn't affect the world economy. Part of our message that we try to convey is that, you know, the private sector can and should do more 
to yeah. make sure that they're taking care of themselves so that they're less reliant on government resources during a crisis so that government yeah. resources can actually go to supporting the more vulnerable populations. That's at the global level as well as at the national level. But one of the problems to that, uh, one of the challenges to, the, to that is that the, they actually end up getting negative publicity sometimes for their level of preparedness. This How is that? Um, a, a great example of this is a very stark visual example was Goldman Sachs during Hurricane Sandy. So yeah. when all of lower Manhattan went dark because of that transformer explosion and, you know, the Goldman Sachs tower was high and dry. Um, they had sandbagged all of the entrances and they had their generators going. So they were like lit up like a Christmas tree around all of dark, the rest of Manhattan. And that was true of all of the financial centers, but Goldman Sachs in particular. Yeah got a lot of negative press saying, oh, you know, they're gold, they have gold-plated plans. Well, yes, they, they do. But at the same time, that's useful for society because if they had lost all of those financial records because they didn't have a backup or because they didn't have backup power, would be bad, yeah. that would be much, much worse. Um, they have it by, by regulatory requirement and also because they did that themselves and they paid for it. Those are their own, using their own resources to pay for their own resilience, which again, yeah. makes them less reliant on city, state, and federal resources, which can then go to helping out some of those poorer, more vulnerable communities. And that's where they should go. And that's where they should be focused, yep. those resources. Okay, Chloe, have a wonderful day. Thank you for your time so far. And uh, we'll, um, we'll get this um, podcast on the road soon. Sounds good. Thanks, John. Right. Bye. Bye-bye. You have just listened to episode 38 of the Futurized podcast with host Trun Arne Unheim, futurist and author. The topic was Disaster Risk Management. Our guest was Chloe Dombrowski, CEO of Disaster Recovery Institute. In this conversation, which is a precursor to an upcoming deep dive into risk and resilience in the next decade, we talk about what risk management is all about, how executives can handle disasters, and map out some of the needed vocabulary to start understanding risk in a systematic way. My takeaway is that in order to fully prepare for the next decade, there is really no way around developing a systematic take on risk and resilience. There is so much to know, but a first step is to be aware of the organizations and frameworks that exist to help executives map their risk and start developing approaches that might work no matter what happens to their organizational assets in a crisis. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurost.co or in your preferred podcast player, and rate us with five stars. Futurized, preparing you to deal with disruption.